0: This is Structure,
1: the podcast.
0: I'm Sam Ward. And I'm Michelle Rose. We talk to the designers and minds behind the most creative products in the outdoor industry. This week on Structure, we talk to Jessica Hemmer, an expert in sew-free and bonding techniques, whose design background includes Bemis, Under Armour, and Woolrich.
1: All right, Jessica, why don't we just... Introduce yourself and tell us what you're doing right now.
2: Okay, um, my name's Jessica Hemmer and I am a designer working, um, collaborating a lot with Bemis Associates. I work in the apparel industry focusing on products that are so free. So helping people build products that are removing stitching and replacing it with bonding.
1: Can you explain what SoFree technology is and how long that's been around? And is it like one unified thing or are there are many different versions of it?
2: Yeah, there, there are a few different versions of SoFree. Product creation. It's not even design. I look at it as like product creation. So it's the idea that it's figuring out how to actually build a product not necessarily just design it, but how to put it together. So in traditional apparel construction, it has stitching, so cut and sew, um, with sew-free techniques, it's cut and bond. So it's using adhesive in between layers of fabric, actually like layering them up and um, using heat, time, and pressure to construct them. So it's the heat, time and pressure is activating the adhesive and allowing it to sink into the different materials and therefore bonding them together. There's also overlay films. So that's actually being put onto like the surface of a um, garment. And so that could be um, to aid in the construction or clean finishing something, or it could be that it is for just like decorative purposes.
1: Heat, what and what?
2: Heat, time and pressure.
1: Heat, time, and pressure. So those are the three things you need to activate the adhesive?
2: Yes. And so if one of them is off, then it can affect the adhesion. So it could make it that it it can actually peel apart or that it can like fall apart in the wash or something like that. So it's important that you understand all three of those in order for something to actually like be bonded successfully. And what's really interesting is that once you figure that part out, you add in like well, the the material itself so the fabric that's actually making up the garment. And if you don't have the heat time and pressure that works with the material, so if it's a temperature. Sensitive material, then you can really um, mess things up if you're not careful. So it's important that you understand that the material side of it as well as the adhesive side of it. You, you can melt some fabrics. Yeah, or you could serra- make them look serrated, or you could um, like melt the surface, which can look really funky. And so if you see something like that in the uh, store, you could actually be purchasing something that like people haven't gone through the proper development on that product. It could still hold together but it's not like the desired look can you can you tell us quickly what saray means oh saray is when you're you're melting the material so it's like you could be melting like the surface of it sometimes you want a fabric to be saray finished and so it's actually like on um like a very lightweight like technical performance jacket a saray finish can help to keep the like a down or a insulation like on the inside and it can help waterproof things but in this case, if you're using material that it's not meant to have a spray finish, it's meant to just have like either a matte finish or a traditional look to it, that it can actually impede the like aesthetic of, of what you're trying to accomplish. So how you get those high shine looks? Yeah, yeah, exactly.
1: Are these so free techniques something that's relatively new, or have they been around for a while?
2: Um, so so free technology has been around for quite a while actually. So there's been like iterations of it. In the last, like, 15 years or so, probably tw- probably closer to 20 years now, um, it's become more and more popular. A lot of it started out with making uh, waterproof garments, so, like, technical outerwear and having seam tape. With the process of sewing, you're poking holes into the material, and so it's allowing for water to permeate its way through the fabric. What you're doing with the tape on the inside is that it's making it so it's waterproof, so it's bonding it to the internal side of the fabric and allowing it to not let water pass through
1: are, are most of the applications for waterproof garments or are they used kind of across the board
2: so it started out where a lot of it was for waterproofing um, or for outerwear jackets in general whether it was for a hood brim or a cuff detail or a placket a center front placket but a lot of it has actually like branched out into what we refer to as um either athletic wear or sportswear and so that has to do with more of like the stretchy layers of material that you're wearing like closer to skin so it could be yoga wear it could could be running, it could be, you know, your regular t-shirt, that kind of thing, but um, more of like base layer and mid layer. So it started out definitely more concentrated on outerwear and then it's like kind of transferred over um, as more and more adhesives are being developed that are softer and stretchier and have better recovery and better modulus. Those are allowing um, for the expansion of this to be like kind of go past just the, the more structured materials that are in outerwear pieces.
0: Well, I I wanted to really get a sense of um, your background as a designer, uh, because that's what we do here at Structure Podcast is focus on design and the designers and their process. And I always love to hear, you know, how did
2: you get started in design? I was going to go to school for broadcast journalism, and I had a scholarship to Marquette. And at the very last minute, um, my mom tells a story that I walked downstairs and I just walked into the room and I very quickly said... I'm going to school for design and I turned around and I walked away. That's kind of like where everything started. I, I went to the University of Cincinnati School of Design. Every other semester you um, have to do an internship. So I had the opportunity to work for six different companies um, full-time um, for three-month periods at a time while I was in school. Um, what I learned through that whole process was what I didn't want to do. So, um, and, and what I,
1: did you not want to do? Uh,
2: so at first I thought I wanted to be kind of in the, the graphic side of apparel design. It just was not my thing. It's not that I don't enjoy graphics. It's just, I couldn't imagine doing that 24 seven. Really what I realized over time was that what I had the most interest in was like the problem solving aspect of it. My projects started to become more and more about creating solutions to problems, identifying problems and like building around that.
1: Cool. So what did you what did you do after school?
2: I am incredibly fortunate. I had the opportunity to move to Italy for three months. Through one of the internships, I had met a woman, um, Karuna Scheinfeld, the design director at Woolrich USA. When I was graduating from school, she was working for Woolrich over in Italy. She called me up and she said, what are you doing after graduation? I thought she was going to give me a job over in New York because that's where she had been. And she's like, what do you think about coming to Italy? And I was like, why not? That sounds amazing. Sign me up. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> like, when can I leave? Um, so I had the great opportunity to go over there and work for um, three to four months. When I came back from school or from Italy, I um, it was 2008. It was right when the economy was totally tanking. And uh, so I was kind of left sitting there for a little bit trying to figure out like what it was that I was going to do. Shortly after that, I had actually got a job with um, JC JCPenney down in Texas. So that's where mm-hmm. their corporate office is. And when I went down there, it was for a trainee program. And in my head, I was like, I can't believe I'm going to go do this trainee program when I've done six internships, and then I've done a seventh internship in Italy. I can't believe this. I have all this experience, and now I'm going down for this trainee program. Uh And it was super frustrating at the time. And I went down there, and I actually uh, was put on to the women's intimate apparel team. And I called my mom the first day, and I was like, you'll never guess what team they put me on what is the last thing you would ever expect for me to design and my mom goes oh my god you're you're designing lingerie and so it was like she knew instantly like what it was but um I ended up having a blast it was awesome I learned so much I learned a lot about um creating technical apparel that was fashionable so that was basically what I had to do is help them reinvent what their offering would be for um kind of the millennial generation but focusing on how do you create something that fits the body right? How do you create something that like, is it's basically an engineering feat to create a bra? Mm-hmm. So how to, what are all the pieces that go into that? So And it was an awesome program. And why was that so. such a surprise of the lingerie? So prior to that, I had thought that I had wanted to do menswear. And so when I had interviewed with JCPenney, I went down there with the intention of these guys are going to put me on the menswear team and it's going to be great. And so um, the process of interviewing, you interview with all of the design directors kind of together and they go through your portfolio and I had my menswear stuff and they were like, do you have anything else to show us? And I pull out all of these other projects that I had worked on and it was everything from maternity clothes to athletic stuff to, um, Mm. you know, women's. Dresses to the like all this different stuff that you do when you're in school, and they were like, "Well, this is the interesting stuff. Your menswear is okay, but this is the interesting stuff." Mm. So they they look through all this stuff and they're like, "Oh, this is amazing! Like you have this technical capability." And so when I showed up, I was like, "Ah, oh, I've definitely got this in the bag. I'm gonna go on the menswear team. This is gonna be amazing." And uh, women's intimate apparel. So yeah, but it was. <laughs> It was one of the best jobs. So um, I was able to go in and they have you present in front of the design directors basically from day one. So every time you have Mm. a trend report, a tech review, a sketch review, a um, first proto sample, this trainee program had you in front of all of the design directors of the company giving you feedback. So Mm. I walked away understanding the technical way of building garments that are supposed to perform a certain capability and hold your body in a certain way and be close to the body. Um, but I also walked away with understanding how to present and how to build a story right. and how to talk to people, you know, like it was- Yeah, those
1: are such important skills for yeah, a designer. Right. Right.
2: Yeah, so it was it was pretty awesome. Right.
0: <laughs> and, and as you said, that's, you know, the, an engineering feat, you know, intimate Apparel is actually, they, they actually use a lot of cotton and, cut and, uh, bond yes. and uh, a lot of technology. Um, because there's so much it has to do exactly. structurally.
2: So I didn't know it then that like I was basically learning like the beginnings of what was going to lead me down this path of understanding like mm. so free and, and bonding and like how to build build garments and things like that. But it's like they say that the
0: trajectory is very is is almost never a straight line, um, and I think that's what's interesting about talking with all designers such as yourself is that. Everybody has a story, and everybody has an interesting background to how they got where they are. Mm-hmm. And uh, it just lets us know, like, you yeah, have other places that you're going to go exactly.
2: as well. Who knows where <laughs> you're going to end up?
1: So so how did you make the transition from Under Armour to Bemis?
2: I was at Under Armour for about three years it was amazing. So I I loved it there. But then I was presented with the opportunity that Bemis would be creating a uh, design services team. And the more I learned about this design services team, the more I I felt that it was really something that I could sink my teeth into. So I was really fortunate that I was kind of on the ground floor of creating, um, being a part of a team that was creating design services for Bemis. And what that really meant was that I was able to partner with brand, like many brands, like the like the best brands in the world, and work with their their um, teams on their best products and really help them to figure out how to make their products even better. And
1: and what was that like in that in that role um, when you're going out and working with these other brands? Did they all kind of recognize that? that you know that they needed you they needed your team they needed your knowledge and your expertise or were they kind of like resistant like oh hey we know it all we just need you know your product be able to put this together
2: so it definitely started out that people didn't know exactly what to do with design services It, it was the first couple seasons um we would go in and people would be a little resistant not fully understanding what it was we were there to do um But very quickly, once we started to go in and present and teams got to see us for the first time, the second time, it became, oh, oh, they're coming. Oh, this is great. They're going to be here. We're going to get to work with them. Like, oh, thank God you're in the building. That was really amazing because what it allowed us to do was um, and and for me to do is like you built a rapport with the designers
1: right you have a relationship
2: yeah and so um it was really fantastic because it's like now i've got these great friends that are like all over the industry that you know you're partnering with on these neat things and you're helping them um it's not my design project it's it's their design project and i'm helping them bring it to life in the best way that it can be so you really become their collaborator their partner Um, and it's about them getting their product across the finish line so it it opens you up to a different kind of relationship.
1: Yeah, and you were saying that before about how you know you had the, one of the challenges was was to get in there and understand their DNA and really understand the vision for the project in order to you know to help them fulfill it. How did you do that? How would you how would you get up to speed with a, with a brand, with a product, with a designer? Um, what was your process for that?
2: I love asking questions, so I am not somebody who wants to come in and act like I know everything that's going on. So I think that's a huge part of it we obviously would do a lot of research. Um, we would do trend research and forecasting and try to figure out like where do we see the, the, um, the trends going or where do we see the brand going. And so we do a lot of this preemptive work to really prepare us to go in. But then it became much more about, um, hey, this is our preparation. We're bringing that. We have that in our heads. These are the products and designs and ideas that we have to bring to the table. Now um, I'm going to ask a lot of questions and I'm going to figure out based off of what we've seen here, like how, to, how can we bring this to life in your products?
1: What were some of the biggest challenges that you saw in the, in the companies that you work with?
2: I would say um, time. Nobody has time. Mm-hmm. Nobody has time for anything. And so if it's to figure out how to create a new product that's never been done before, it's it's harder to do that with a technology that you're not familiar with if somebody's not there to help you. Mm-hmm. So if somebody wanted to create the new most innovative jacket, and they don't understand bonding. Like, that's gonna be a really hard thing for them to do with bonding right off the bat without having a partner who can help them.
1: So, you'd uh, come in and have a bonding boot camp right off the yeah. bat? Yeah,
2: so we would say, like, um, there would be like bonding 101s, and then we'd have open houses. So, that's where we'd actually, this is one some of my favorite stuff, we'd have designers come into the design lab. Um, So whether it was at the brand or at Bemis where we'd actually have them come in and we'd work with them. And so they'd bring either, they'd bring their designs, they'd bring their sketches, they'd bring full garments sometimes, send fabrics and materials, um, and they'd send as much as they could ahead of time. And then we'd work collaboratively on the spot with them of like, well, what if we put it together this way? What if we put it together that way? If we combine the fabrics like this, the hand feel will be like this. So... It was a lot of like hands-on activity together and learning together, which if you can be the liaison to help them learn, you can like, Open up the store, a for a great relationship, but b to help build amazing products.
0: What was that like working with other designers? You know, you're a designer yourself, yes. and here you are in design services, and you're working with these um, creatives with other companies. And you know, creatives have this reputation of of um, sometimes not being able to play well together, or yeah. anybody <laughs> wants to own everything. And your role is very collaborative. How, what was that experience like for you? How did you actually find, did you find that
2: things were challenging, collaborative? What what, what were your experiences? I can understand where that comes from, and, and I've experienced that. When I joined Bemis and I was working with design services, I really tried to focus on the idea that these um, are not my designs and my new purpose as um, kind of the liaison to the company. is you know, a designer in design services was it's about bringing these projects to life for this company. And this is the team that's bringing them to life is this designer that I'm working on, working with this developer that I'm working with. So, um, I would say that the transition became pretty quick that even if I might not agree with the style lines, that, that wasn't my purpose. My purpose was to come in and help, help them design a so-free product. And my purpose was to come in and help them troubleshoot and to show them what they could do. It was really fun though. Like I liked it. It, it became again, much more of that problem solving kind of thing. Um, this is the sandbox you have to play in. This is the price point that you have. This is the, um, the theme or the idea or the problem that you're solving. And then how do you make that work within that sandbox? And it sounds like you were clear with it. How yeah. about the other designers you were working the with? The other designers, I was <laughs> um, I mean, I, I think it can be challenging. The way that I worked with the brands, like, I kind of would always preface with, like, don't feel boxed in, don't feel limited by what you see here. The aesthetics can change. This is just a jumping off point for what we can create together. Yes.
1: Yeah. Well, I, know the two, I know the two of you got to work together on the project that Michelle did mm-hmm. with Cordura. And what was really neat was that. You know, the two of you and then Rick at Young One were all able to work together and make the product even better than it would have been had any one of you just been working on it individually. So that sounds what's really what's really interesting about is that that ability to kind of take it beyond where it would have gotten on its own.
2: Yeah. And, And again, that project was amazing for that particular reason for me too, is that I got to partner with somebody who was very open and collaborative and willing to kind of like see what we could build together. So that's mm. why I liked working so much with you, Michelle. Oh, um, you. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, it was Feelings mutual. Yeah, good. Um, no, it was, it was wonderful and it, it helped to kind of highlight the best ways that we could work together. And so it, it's almost, um, kind of showcased for me and it had, allowed me to showcase to other people what the best process is for how um, you can work collaboratively together as a um, as a contributor without like necessarily owning the whole project Um, and I think that's going to become more and more important because as um, technical capabilities change within the manufacturing world um, whether it's with 3D printing or bonding or um, any other kind of technology that might be like down the road that we're not even thinking about yet you're not going to necessarily always be able to have those experts within your design team. Sometimes having those experts externally who are really good collaborators, like that's going to be. Um, really important to get your team up to speed.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, the, just the pace of change on all these technologies is so fast. I mean, there's no way that any one person or any small team is really going to be able to maintain a handle on all of it. So it seems like you have to have those partners who are able to come in and help you and figure out, you know, what's the right way to the best way to apply this, what's the best way to apply that, um, if you're going to be successful. And and and. Continuing to be kind of at the forefront of those of those technologies, and
0: I think that's something that's really important for young designers to hear. As those of us we're getting uh, a little more experienced <laughs> and up there, um, we really learn that that once you get stronger within yourself, I think that's why we're we're used to working with some very strong people, right? And you're able to give that that you're able to share. Um, because it's a lot more rewarding, and that the end result, the end product, is much much greater, is what right. we learned in that particular project. But to share that in the uh, in the young folks that are coming up as well, that. Y- you are going to have to be okay to do that in order to be stronger. That brings me also to my question about you know, education. Yes. You've shared that, that that's very important uh, for you. It's a passion to get mm-hmm. in there and really help the next generations and educators uh, prepare the next level of of
2: designers for the future no definitely so um i am super passionate about education i think that the schooling that i had was amazing and and i think that's why it became kind of from the beginning really important for me to like constantly be linking it back to that that program that i was really passionate Mm about and what i learned was that as strong as the program was the um, at the University of Cincinnati, that there were still things that could be added, and there were there were things that were constantly changing, and there were pieces of the curriculum that didn't pertain to what I was passionate about, and that there's a disconnect between what you actually do in an apparel design job and what you're you're taught in school, and that that yes. disconnect can be closed, it can be shortened, that you can create um, and educate young designers to come out of school and be more prepared.
1: Can you say more about what that disconnect actually is? Like what's, what's missing in the gap?
2: What's missing is that kind of um, that technical expertise. So um, I know very few programs that really teach you a a lot about technical fabrics or teach you a lot about the kind of like up and coming construction techniques that really give you exposure to the manufacturing process that help you to understand what it's like to put a garment through development. And those are all the building blocks of what you do on a daily basis and so without those things people obviously have been coming out of school for years and years and it works and people make it work but there's um there there is a disconnect there
1: what are you inspired by as a designer?
2: I think that it really, like, for me, it gets back to that problem-solving thing. So that is huge. Like, I really feel like... I think a lot of designers are like this. You walk around the world every day, and you just, like, pick out, like, ah, oh, we could do that better. Or <laughs> like, or if I had time, I'd really like to change the design for that. So I think that it, it, it comes to um, problem-solving, but also, like... It, personal experience with things so if I'm working on a project and it's about you know recreating a tight or a legging for something like I want to I want to buy that I want to like wear it I want to figure out what it feels like and understand like what it is the problem is that they're they're focusing on and and why it needs to be improved if we're working on something that maybe it's a product that like I can't do that for then like really picking out um uh like dissecting how things have been done before um, buying a garment taking it apart understanding like w- what is it that like makes it perform in the way that it does um, for instance like if there's a waistband that has, I'm just going to use waistbands a lot as examples but if there's a waistband that has um, like a draw cord or a gathering technique or um, that the the modulus uh, or um, stretch and recovery changes from the top of the waistband to the bottom of the waistband and therefore it fits differently well, why does that? work and how does that work on a garment that has um um elastic in it versus a garment that like is fully bonded and how can you really create that same kind of technique and effects and feel and fit um in this new different way those types of things of like really dissecting things understanding them and like understanding problem solving like that's the stuff that i love
0: um designers always want to change things Mm -hmm. you know and you're saying that in your inspiration how can I do that better how can I do it different um and uh why do you think that is designers always want to change it up make it better make it different is that something that we as designers just, is it inherent in us or what is that? I think it annoys some people and I
2: think (laughs) other people. (laughs) Like where does it come from? Um, I don't know. I think there's people who just like, you become like a problem solver. And I think Mm. that once you learn that skill set, it's hard to turn it off. And so it kind of like filters through in every aspect of your life. Um, Like everything you see, you just can't not go, oh, I
0: that annoys me I can make that better well, no
2: I mean like sometimes it's like you find something and it's like oh that's designed so amazingly I wish that I could have been a part of it you know so and yeah. I think I think that another thing that's neat is that some of some of the changes can be aesthetic some of it could be a line extension some of it you could be like oh that's a really great product but you know what else they could also make something like this and this and this and so I think it's figuring out um it's not always about like, oh, it's done horrible and like mm-hmm. it can be done in a better way. It's more of like, wouldn't it be neat if this other thing also existed?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think also it's, it's, not, it's not just about changing something for change's sake. It's because either you identify with that problem or maybe you have like a different approach like, oh, I know I, I can see how this person approached that problem and I might take a, a, a slightly different approach and, you know, you want have a desire to see what that outcome would be.
2: And I think also it's like, it's getting back to that idea of understanding the customer. So I think that we also are constantly as designers having to put our mindset around obviously what we like, but also how do we put ourselves in someone else's head? And so Mm -hmm. if we're constantly doing that and we have that capability, I think no matter what's put in front of us, whether it's perfect for, for me as an individual, I can always think, oh well, if we made this for this customer who is this age at this subset and at this income, how could they do that? So you're always kind of like putting this different set of variables to kind of figure out like, well, how could I make a product for them? And that's fun. Like, and that can be a fun exercise too, like kind of to get innovative thinking going.
1: Thank you. Cool.
2: Thanks for having me. It's great to have
1: you. Yeah. (laughs) This podcast is a project of Structure Event, the creative conference for the active outdoor and urban design industry. For more information about the podcast or the conference, check out our website at StructureEvent.com. If you
0: enjoyed this podcast, please give us a rating on iTunes and tell your friends. Thanks for listening.